a sex machine. Sex machine. Huh. Get on up. <sighs> yes. Tonight we start our four part series on sex entitled Sex Machine. Uh, I think you'll find it quite arousing. <laughs> uh, I make myself even laugh. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. Four weeks talking about almost everyone's favorite subject, sex. Um, you've probably already seen our topics, but I'll read them to you again for our next four weeks just to remind you. Tonight we start schematics. What makes you a sex machine? Next week, moving parts. What does your sex life say about you? Third, nuts and bolts. Sex under the access panel. And the fourth week, reset button. Can you change how this machine works? Pretty excited. I hope that you will join us for all four messages because they all link together. Um, each one is good, but together they are great. So be here for all four. In these four weeks, I will warn you the content is PG-13. Yes, it is PG-13. <laughs> Joe Clabs. Perfect. However... However, I will tell you that the next four weeks will be explicit, but they will not be crass. And if you know what those words mean, it's this. Explicit means fully revealed, expressed without vagueness, implication, or ambiguity, leaving no question to meaning or intention. In other words, if I'm going to say something about sex, I'm just going to say something about sex. I'm not going to make up funny words for it or dance around the subject. I'm just going to tell you what it is. You will hear such words as penis, vagina, intercourse, erection, anal, doing it, knocking boots, and making love, which I still don't understand. You cannot make love. You can make babies, but you can't make love. However, the next four weeks will not be crass, because crass means gross. It means beneath one's dignity, and that's not the point of the next four weeks. Not for me just to make a whole bunch of jokes. I'm going to use those words, but I'm not going to use them just to make you guys laugh. Maybe every once in a while, just to make you laugh. But that's not the point, because we're talking for a reason. I'm not going to just use the words for fun, but it's because we're trying to communicate something here. How in the world, and this is the problem when people talk about sex, how in the world am I going to talk about sex without using real terms and words with you guys? Otherwise, we're just dancing around the subject and doing really poor at actually talking about it. So we're not going to do that. We're just going to talk about it. Hopefully, through this true and explicit conversation, we're actually going to learn some things. We're going to increase our knowledge of sex itself and how it's going to apply to your own life. Because in all reality, let's be completely honest, we're pretty selfish. You guys come in here and hang out with people, but you want to know how it applies to me, right? I mean, it's cool to learn about something, but unless it applies to me, why do I really need to know this? So the idea is you're going to learn something, but then how is this going to work in your own life? And you're going to see, 
you know, that actually makes sense for me. That's the idea over the next four weeks, um, to be selfish but to get something from it. I warn you, I do not claim to be an expert on the subject. Believe it or not, I am not a sexologist. I did not go to eight, school, eight years of sex school to be a sexologist or whatever you have to do. Um, I don't have really, really special knowledge on sex. I can be completely honest with you in that. Um, probably, if it wasn't for the situation, you wouldn't hear me use some of these words because I blush like a little boy saying some of these things. But in this, in this context, I feel empowered to say such words. Um, however, I am a man who has studied, who has prayed, and who has asked and learned from other people who know more than I do. So hopefully the knowledge that I pass to you, um, whether it be from me or from other people, is still stuff that you can learn from because I'm taking knowledge, maybe even that I pulled from someone else, but hopefully transferring it to you. Um, But the biggest thing I'll say is that for the next four weeks, I will not ever force you to take my word for it because that's not the point. Um, Just because I said something doesn't mean it's good enough, doesn't mean that it's true. I'm not going to just say, take my word for it. Um, There's going to be backing to everything I say. There's going to be truth behind it. So you're not just going to have to learn something because I want you to. So, to start out, sex. Just the word, does it not draw our attention? If you yell sex in almost any crowded public place, eyes will immediately turn to you. Have you guys ever heard of the penis game? It was a game that was popular in Mendota, where I went to school. The game is played with one or two people, or three people, and one person will whisper the word penis. And then the next person has to say it, but has to say it louder. And then after they say it a little bit louder, it goes back to the original person who has to say it louder than the last person. And the volume increases until sooner or later someone is screaming the word at the top of their lungs, and it draws quite a bit of attention. Sex and much that comes with it, the words that go along with it, have a lot of power. Have you noticed how much attention even just the word sex draws? In almost any social class, in any age group, any gender, any ethnicity, doesn't matter where you take that word and you display it, people's attention is drawn. Almost instantly, it pulls their eyes to it. It doesn't matter, like I said, if it's some super rich people or it's like the bums on the street. They see that word and it draws their attention, takes it away. Um, When it just comes down to it, people seem to just be sex machines. Absolutely. That um, obviously machine is a bunch of parts put together to work together to come up with an end, like, result. And a lot of times it kind of just seems like humans are just a bunch of parts put together waiting for their time to shine. (laughs) Sex. Does it not? So many people, it seems like this is the very crux of their existence. Sooner or later. Sooner or later. It seems like the hardest thing that they struggle with, that they want, that, I mean, so many guys, I think, go through their entire high school career with no other thought than sex on their minds. Um, when it comes down to it, it really is true. We seem to be a sex machine because, just like I said, a machine has, as parts that come to a certain outcome. We have all the right parts from the very beginning, since we're young. All the right parts, just waiting, and this fascination begins to breed about sex. 
we see that it really does have potency because it's used everywhere. Man, you will see sex in 90% of your day, I'd say. Almost everywhere you go, different locations, you'll find sex. Here's an interesting one. CBC, a college, did a study of a 12-year-old girl. They decided they were going to follow her for 24 hours one day and see how many sexual things she came in contact with. This could be things on TV, radio, friends, anything uh, deriving from sex, sexual innuendo, all these different things. Throughout one day, this 12-year-old girl, through sexual ads, situations, and innuendos, experienced 280 sexual things. One day, a 12-year-old girl, 280 sexual things. How in the world is there so much sex in our society? Well, it's easy, because we eat it up. And marketers don't care what they're marketing. The whole idea is that they find a way to get it into your head. And if sex works, they're going to use it. And it seems to be working that way. So we really do seem to be sex machines. Um, it's everywhere. It's in our minds. But why? What makes us a sex machine if we are? There has to be some reason. There has to be a beginning. There has to be some sort of light at the end of the tunnel that will describe this and explain to us why it is. So let's take a look at all the way to the beginning. Let's go all the way back to the very beginning in the Bible, which is the book of Genesis, if you guys have read it or not. doesn't matter if you have, because I'll explain it to you. Genesis describes the very beginning of earth. It starts all the way from God sitting in nothingness and then works through his creation. So it starts out, and God is making the world. He creates stuff like light, sky, dry ground, sun and moon, the fish and the birds, land animals, and then he comes to his crowning glory, man, who he says he makes in his own image. He says this in Genesis 1.27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So if we read on, we see the story of how God basically created Adam, and um, he already creates all the, all the animals. He creates a Garden of Eden, which is just this basically amazing place, like ridiculous, the best type of land you could possibly imagine, like probably some sort of cross between like a rainforest and like, it's just beautiful, I'm sure. I'm an outdoors person, so I'm guessing like it's just awesome to see it. But he puts Adam in there. But what happens, it says that after a while, he realizes that Adam needs a mate. He needs someone to be with. Um, so you see the very first surgery ever in the entire world. He puts Adam to sleep, knocks him out for a while, tears open his side, plucks out a rib, closes him back up, and he takes and he forms his mate, Eve, out of Adam's rib. Takes and builds her around this. When Adam wakes up, he stands up. He sees this beauty standing in front of him, and he names her woman. Now, Old school preachers, I've heard a million times say, the reason why I named him woman is because when he woke up, he went, whoa, man! I think that's ridiculous. <laughs> Completely ridiculous. It's just silliness, my friend. Because woman, woman is actually a Hebrew word. If you take it all the way back, what woman originally came down to, if you take it to what the Hebrew word woman is, it's basically a word that rhymes, sounds like man. We see this a lot in scripture. They'll use things that sound alike. So basically what he said is like, if I'm like, if my name was man, then woman, it kind of goes off of it. Probably more like it'd be like, if my name is guy, I'll name her bi. 
because it sounds like, you know? That was the idea. So he basically named her. He says, it, it came from man. He says, so he basically named her a word that sounds like man. I think it's also ridiculous because knowing God's creation and knowing how well he does his work, I'm sure when he saw him, his relationship, it wasn't, whoa, man, it was probably, ding, right? Standing there. She's naked. She's butt naked standing in front of him. And I'm sure she was pretty darn good looking. I highly doubt it went from really, really ugly people to good looking people today. They were probably really good looking and then slowly the genes kind of wore away and we get people who aren't so attractive nowadays. But I'm guessing they were both very attractive. I'm also a very scientific person, so I have to assume that one of them was also blonde-haired. Otherwise, there wouldn't be blondes here on Earth. And one of them must also have been blue-eyed. I'm not sure which one. I would assume Eve just because it sounds pretty, but I'm not certain. Now, of all the different things that God can say to man and woman, he ends up making man, he ends up making woman. And of all the things, I mean, God, God, we understand this. He has all of this knowledge, and what is he going to impart to these people? What is he going to tell them? What is he going to show them to set them up for the rest of their existence? Because, I mean, he just made man, and he's like, put him here on earth. What are they going to need to know? Well, there's two things. The first one we see chronologically happens before Eve is there. And God takes Adam aside, and he tells them that you can eat from anything, but don't eat from this tree, which was called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It was a tree that would cause death because otherwise Adam would live forever. And he says, don't eat of that tree. So basically the first commandment was saying, basically it was protection. That's what God was trying to give to him, was saying, I want to keep you safe, because God loved Adam. He created him to, to love him. The second commandment he gives, after Eve is there, he says in Genesis 1.28, he says, be fruitful and increase in number. And of all the different things that God could teach man at the very beginning, at the very the very onset of what he needed to know. He basically said, go have sex with your naked selves. That's what he told Adam and Eve. He says, get it on. That's what he told them. That was the very first knowledge that he imparted to these guys. I have to say, this is probably the one commandment that no one has ever argued with in all of history. All the other ones people will complain about what do you mean I can't do this? No one ever complains with be fruitful and multiply. They're like, man, God, he's just a smart man. Not going to fight him on that one. But what we see here is God is the one who originated sex. It wasn't some dirty sicko in a back alley who thought, what can we do? Ooh, yeah. Thought of something dirty. No, it was God who actually created sex in the very beginning. He's the one who thought of the strange occurrences that take place during sex. I will say them. Erection. Crazy stuff. The female's amazing anatomy, which is still confusing to me to this day. But anyways, um, <laughs> thank you, Joe, yes. Um, all, the, you know, all the different parts, other things. And then he created stuff like intercourse and everything that came with sex at that time. God created that. Not some sicko. God created that. He came up with it. He invented it. Just as he was creating, he's like, I'm going to make this thing that takes and grows leaves. And it's going to take sun and rain, and it's going to grow larger. And it's going to take carbon dioxide and turn it into oxygen. And it's going to be a place for birds to live and for people to take fruit from. And I'm going to create this animal here that is really, really fat and meaty called the cow. So when people get hungry, they can take and they can kill this and they can eat it. And I'm also going to create a way for two people to come together and have sex. 
It was just another one of his creation that he came up with at the same time. And let me tell you, um, in one of his many ideas, he did a darn good job at it. God is not a failure, okay? He's really good at what he does. He wired man and woman for sex. So it was already in his plan. Just from a biological standpoint, okay? People have, humans have, more receptors and nerve endings in their sexual organs than almost anywhere else in their body. More sensitivity, more touch. All the things that basically are enjoyable are even more so heightened in these areas. God knew what he was doing. He, des- he described and he basically made all these things. I still do not understand, nor will I ever understand, all of the metaphysical and physiological things that happen during an orgasm. However, that was God's creation. Whatever came with that, all of that pleasure that comes with it, I, I'll be completely honest with you. I've never had sex. I'm a virgin. However, I've heard it's pretty good. So, of everything that I've heard and talked to people about, people aren't complaining. I'm not hearing people complaining very much. Most people talk about it like it's pretty good. So, I mean, of everything that comes with that, God created that. Here's what I want to do real quick. What did God create sex for? Real quick, fire out some answers to me. Make babies. Fun. Intimacy. What did God create sex for? Any other ones? Pleasure. All right, that's good enough. Everyone's thinking, they're like, what? What am I? I thought I was just going to sit here. You want Yeah, a few things. What? Babies. Fun. Closeness. Man, demonstration of love. To prevent boredom. <laughs> whatever. Man, whatever God created for. Yes. Yes to all of that. God created it for all these different reasons. You know, I found one thing, um, which I was actually surprised it happened opposite in here. A lot of times when you ask women why God created sex is to make babies. When you ask guys why God created sex is to have fun. But it happened the exact opposite tonight. That was actually really cool. It was hardcore. Good job, guys. You look like you're really, yeah. I'm sure that's the first thought that, actually, that probably is the first thought the guys are having. They're scared to death. But... <laughs> Yes, God created all of these. All these were reasons why he created sex. Even down to the fact of to prevent boredom. Sure, whatever. If God wanted to make babies, and that was the only standpoint, okay? If we take sex all the way back and say, man, sex was created for sperm and an egg to come together to make a baby human to be, to be carried, okay? If that was the whole reason why God did it, he could have chose a billion different other ways. It's done other ways on our earth here. Man, you have animals that, like, like fish, they spawn. They release eggs and semen into an area, and it basically collects, and it makes babies. There's all these different ways that it could happen. If you go all the way down to cellular, cellular level, there's things that basically just grow another one of themselves off to the side, and that just falls off. God could have created us just to basically start growing a lump, and then it would turn into a bigger lump, and then it'd be like a little mini-me that would hang there. And then after a while, it would just butt off and fall down, and you just pick it up, and you'd carry it around. It'd be your baby. He could have done that. It's, but it's not, it seems funny to us, but it's not that strange. It happens here on earth. God could have done that. He could have said, that's the way we're going to make babies. That's how it's going to happen, because we, we need to populate it. But no. He decides on this very, very sensual, beautiful, very, very pleasurable way to make babies. He could have made it any other way. 
but instead he decided to pair it with a gift, which was sex, when he designed and when he gave that to us. He made us to be part of this. It didn't just happen, but that it was something that we got to work at. Um, You are a sex machine. And why? Because God made you a sex machine. That's the true meaning of it. You really are a sex machine. You are made, moving parts, different mechanical things that come together, and when you use them correctly, it forms sex. That's the deal. You are a sex machine, and God made you that way. And yes, like I said, he did a good job. Do you know that on the average, across the entire world, people have sex 103 times a year? 103 times a year. That's about every three and a half, four-ish days, somewhere in that range. It's a lot of sex, especially when you consider how many billions of people there are on this earth. There's like 6.2 billion people. There is a lot of sex going on, lots of sex. Over your lifetime, okay, you get married, whatever, you have a long sexual life, you will have sex thousands of times, thousands of times, and it never wears out. Unlike a machine that breaks down and fails, although there are some things that can happen, um, it still works. Everything still functions. I will quote my grandfather, who was a very, very interesting man. Very interesting man. My grandma always used to laugh about it because he'd say, hey, and he'd be feeling amorous, and he'd tug on her, and she'd say, no, Russell. He'd say, what are you saving it for? It ain't going to wear out. That was his comment to her. God made us as sex machines, and man, he made it right. We, we can continue to work this, like I said, thousands of times. Supposedly, supposedly, check this, men think about sex every 30 seconds. It's mind-blowing to me. I don't think I'd get enough done if I thought about sex every 30 seconds. I think that might be a little high. But still, man, he wired us. Man, it's in our minds, it is in our bodies that we are on this topic. Man, we are there. God, through all of this creation, is never confused about our sexuality. That's maybe something that people think, is that, like, your sex life, your sexual personality, that God is, like, looking at it and he's, like, like taken aback, like, didn't expect that one, didn't see it coming. Man, God knew what he was doing. He created you. He created sex. He understands it. Not only that, but he understands what we go through because of the story of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know that, that's basically the fact that God sent part of himself, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth. And he basically was born, lived on this earth to the age of around like 32, 33. Then he was crucified. In all of that, he experienced everything that we do on earth. The same temptations, the same thought life that we have, the same things we struggle with. God actually felt those things. He understands what we go through. You understand, obviously, Jesus Christ came. He experienced all that. He did not sin. He did not fall short of what God's plan was. Died upon the cross as a sacrifice for all of our sin. That's the whole point why he came. It wasn't just to experience what we did. But he paid for all the bad things that basically we end up doing in our lives. But he understands our sexual lives. He understands our sexual being. Now, I know a lot of people might be thinking, wait a second. I thought that God was against sex. I thought that you had really, like, that God wouldn't be, like, all for this. I thought that God would be, like, on the opposite side of, like, you know, I'm not with all this, all these different things. And that's completely wrong. The reason why you think that is probably most linked back to a man called St. Augustine. Here's his deal. St. Augustine said, 
that he truly believed that the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden was sex. That was the forbidden fruit. And that after they partook in this forbidden fruit, that's what caused the downfall of man, and that all such sex is sin. All sex is sin. And he encouraged Christians that Christians should be free from sexual sin, meaning free from sex. He says everyone should strive to be separate from sex. Pretty crazy, right? Now, I know you might be thinking the same question that I think then. Where do babies come from? (laughs) We just talked about this. Then where do babies come from? St. Augustine was asked this question. He was asked this question, and you know what his response was. Well, it will just cause the end of the world quicker, which will just hasten Christ's return. This is a man who did not get it. He studied scripture, maybe, but man, he did not get it. He must have overlooked stuff, overread stuff, and skipped over stuff. Believe it or not, this is where most, if not all, of religion's anti-sex things came from. It was probably from this man. This is the reason, most likely, that now priests can no longer uh, have wives, that they're celibate, was because of him. Um, kind of crazy. It all basically came from his, his beliefs. Um, this is probably where a lot of of our Christian churches bring back their hang-ups on sex. But God made us into sex machines. Do you think that it was an accident? Absolutely not. However, when you read the Bible, you see that this isn't God. Because God spoke about things like sex, not just in a way that they aren't sinful, but God spoke about sex in a way that was beautiful, in a way that was special, in a way that was a gift. Something spiritual, something very interesting. He stood and still today stands behind sex, metaphorically, not physically. (laughs) I'll get it later. It's funny. But if God wanted to, I'm sure he could too because he made it, so why couldn't he look at us having sex, I suppose? But God's word backs this up. Absolutely backs this up because I won't just say it unless there's truth behind this. There's this sacred collection of what God thinks, and it's called the Bible. He spoke to men to write down in in words. Sacred collection of what he thinks. Not only that, but inside of this, there's a book called Proverbs. And in Proverbs 5, 18 through 19, it says this, Men, let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She's a loving doe, a graceful deer. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. This is in the book of Proverbs. Do you know what Proverbs mean? In Hebrew, the word Proverbs is derived from the word mashal, which means wise sayings. So what this means is that one of God's wise sayings is enjoy your wife's breasts. That's a wise saying of God. True that. That's one of his wise sayings is enjoy your wife's breasts. That is, that's the deal. It's not just a joke, though, because it's part of God's gift. Absolutely. Um, The same goes the opposite way. Women, enjoy your men's... Sure. Sure. What do do you girls like? What turns you on about guys? Like, guys are obviously really turned on by breasts because they don't have them, and it's interesting. But I've heard everything from, what, girls like 
guys' arms, girls like guys' hands, their whatever, what, whatever about a guy, okay? Enjoy your man's whatever because it's a gift from God. That's where it all comes back to. Also, there's this man named Solomon, and he's a wise, wise man, one of the wisest here on earth. He still had his problems, and he still had his shortcomings with God, absolutely here on earth. But he wrote a book in the Bible called The Song of Songs, the greatest song. And to this day, when I read it, I still kind of blush. It's pretty bad. It is a beautiful book of poetry, yet ridiculously erotic in the same way, inside of our Bible. I wish to read you an excerpt. comes from one of my favorite verses. <laughs> Song of Songs in chapter 7. I'm going to read this to you in the message, but with some kickbacks to the NIV version. It says this. This is the man starting. Shapely and graceful your sandaled feet, and queenly your movement. Your limbs are lithe and elegant, the work of a master artist. Your body is a chalice, wine-filled. The NIV version, your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Even worse, most, or a few, Bible scholars believe that he wasn't talking about her navel. He was talking about something six, eight inches lower. But the translators were too much of pansies to put that in the Bible because they thought there's no way we can write that word in the Bible. So they put navel, and it's changed. However, most people say, I don't think he was talking about her navel. Um, he was talking about something else. It says, your skin is silken and tawny, like a field of wheat touched by the breeze. Your breasts are like fawns, twins of gazelle. Your neck is carved ivory, curved and slender. Your eyes are wells of light, deep with mystery, quintessentially feminine. Your profile turns all heads, commanding attention. You know what that means. Right there. The feelings I get when I see the high mountain ranges, stirring of desire, longing for the heights, remind me of you, and I'm spoiled for anyone else. Your beauty within and without is absolute, dear lover, close companion. You are tall and supple, like a palm tree, and your full breasts are sweet clusters of dates. I say... I am going to climb that palm tree. I am going to caress its fruit. Yes. NIV. NIV, real quick, to kick back for you. Your stature is like that of a palm, and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take a hold of its fruit. Oh, yes, your breasts will be clusters of sweet fruit to me, your breath clean and cool like fresh mint, your tongue and lips like the best wine. And this is the woman's response. Yes, and yours are too. My lover's kisses flow from his lips to mine. I am my lover's. I'm all he wants. I'm all the world to him. Come, dear lover, let's tramp through the countryside. Let's sleep at, at some wayside inn. Then rise early and listen to birdsong. Let's look for wildflowers in bloom, blackberry brushes blossoming white, fruit trees festooned with cascading flowers, and there I'll give myself to you, my love to your love. Love apples drench us with fragrance. Fertility surrounds, suffuses us. Fruits fresh and preserved that I have kept and saved just for you, my love. 
It actually talks about mandrakes, which is a uh, aphrodisiac. And she talks about the fact that she has stored herself up for her love. Beautiful, yet quite erotic, kind of amazing. Now, I know some of you guys are going to run home tonight and start reading your Bible for the very first times, <laughs> starting probably in Song of Psalms and think, wow, that's in there. I've got to get some of that. Seriously. Um, but it's, that's God's word, God's spirit told to a man to write down in a book is that. That was written down because God wanted it in his Bible. An erotic tale basically of two people who were lovers and their absolute love for each other. You see played out in that. God is not anti-sex. He is quite pro-sex. Um, he thought that it was something really, really special and he's the one who made it. If we look back at Adam and Eve, all the way back to the beginning, here's the deal. Adam is made, and he is just chilling with God, okay? God made him because he wanted him in his own image, and God treated Adam just like a friend, like a, like a best bud, like a son, right? And they're just hanging out together. And man, I'm sure it was really, really cool. Like, seriously, the man just talked to God like he was his friend. But what's crazy is, is then God said, literally, it's not good for man to be alone. Now, God was with Adam. I mean, he was right there with them, sharing that relationship. But God still saw that there was something else. There was something more that a human needed, something more that Adam needed. Another human being in his life. That basically he realized there was someone else that he needed to share his love with. Because it wasn't just good enough to be God in him. He needed someone who he could share that love with. That he needs someone else to share his soul with, to be one with, to share his body with, to share his life with. And yes someone to have sex with as well. Not only that, but probably Adam was standing there going, hey, God, you're a good creator. What's this for? Is there a reason for that? And then God's like, yeah, hold on. I'll put you to sleep and I'll get you something for that. No, absolutely not. Women are much more than that. But see, God, God had this relationship with Adam, and I'm sure it was ridiculously pure. Man, they were friends, they were buddies, but God said there's still something more. There's still something more. He needs someone to share everything with. Because see, that's what it was. Um, sex is much more than where I put my sexual organs, okay? You guys sitting in the audience, sex is so much more than where you decide to throw your penis or vagina, okay? Seriously. There's so much more that comes with it. There's a deep and spiritual and important reside that comes below it. The fact is, is that just like our graphic, sex doesn't just involve your sexual organs, but it involves your mind and it involves your heart, that it's all connected. See, when God made this, just like we talked about how he made, he made this, this action, just like he made everything else, but sex is something so much bigger so much more. It's a bigger scheme. Here's something that actually it says in Genesis right at the beginning, talking about after he says basically to go be fruitful and multiply, and he's talking about this relationship. He says that it carries weight. In 2.24 he says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. You see, God didn't just make it as a way for basically two people to have pleasure for two people to have kids. But what he said is, this is a way that I'm going to take two people and fuse them together to become one. 
that when this happens, it is a, it is a, a picture and an aspect of it, but that this sexual act is the, the fusion of two beings, of their minds, of their hearts, and also of their bodies. I mean, all three, what makes, up, what, I mean, what makes us who we are? It's our mind, our bodies, and our souls, our heart. And he says when sex happens, that it's not just physical, that all three get combined and put together and fused into one. That it was something so much bigger. And God made all of these great things to be wrapped up in sex. Let me tell you, God knew what he was doing. Absolutely. It's something beautiful, and it's something really, really special. Now, I don't want you guys to run out tonight and go have sex with 20 people. Because all I've done so far is basically tell you that sex is really, really good, which it is. Um, you can't go out and say, Cameron told me sex is good. But yes, God made us into sex machines. But here's the deal with a machine. A machine has parts that are put together for a purpose. But there's a thing called parameters. You know what a parameter is? Is It is a form of action and a way that action should be taken in order to accomplish something. When God made sex, he put parameters with it as well. He didn't just make the machine and say, go to town. But instead, he put parameters that went with it. Um, Us, as sex machines, yes, our purpose might be to have sex. But these parameters were set up for a reason. When you make a machine, you set these for a few different reasons, but you never set parameters to hinder a machine. You never set parameters to hurt a machine. What you set them for is to make a machine the most productive, the most effective, in the safest way possible. That's why you set up a machine to do that. And that's the same thing that God did when he created sex and he put the parameters with it. As he said, how can I make people's sex life the most effective, perform the best, and be the safest for them? It wasn't for his own pleasure, but he did it for us. And he put these parameters with it. You see... I'll be completely honest with you. If you go all the way back to the beginning and you read it, you can see quite easily that God created sex between one man and one woman forever. That was his design. That was his purpose. But see, the problem is, is that so many people have taken sex and pulled it away from God's parameters. And this is where all the problems start to come in. See, just like a machine is made, and like I said, all these things are set up for safety, it's just like that. Like, people pull off the safety guards, and people crank it up faster than it's supposed to go. And people decide that they're going to try to pump out more product with this machine that it's even meant to do. Or maybe put cheaper materials into it than what's supposed to go into it. And what happens is there's breakdown, there's malfunctions, and people get hurt. And that's what happens with us as a sex machine, is that maybe we decide... Or maybe society decides for us because we're kind of tempted into it to use this sex machine in ways that are outside of the correct parameters for us. And that's where the problems come in. You see, sex is God's. And you can take a step back and look at this because it's true. Anything that's really, really good, right, and anything that the world uses a lot of usually comes back from God. Because here's the deal. The world sucks. Satan, he sucks. Okay, everything that's bad If you take it back, what it always is is try and corrupt something that was beautiful that God made. Sex. All these different other things. Look across the whole gamut. God makes something, and all that the world does is basically take it, turn it on its head, break parts of it off, and say, this is better. But it's worse. And that's what's offered to you guys. But that's what happens is people take these machines and use them in ways that are not correct for them. And that's where hurt really starts to come in. Broken hearts, 
broken bodies, all these different things that come along with it, all the hurt and all the problems. The Creator made it to function at its very best, but now things have been changed. The correct instructions are the most important because they can renew this machine back to where it's supposed to be. And this is why you need to come back for the next three weeks because I can't talk all tonight about this. But that's what we're going to move into. See, I can preview for it, but these next few weeks is when we're going to talk about this. So this is why I encourage you to come back because it's all together, one big kind of conversation. So for tonight, all I can tell you is over these next few weeks, we will discover how sex can be the absolute healthiest, the purest, the most perfect in your own lives. And yes, how even those things that are hurts in the past and all that stuff can just seem to disappear because God has a better plan for your life. You're still a sex machine, but maybe the parameters are a little whacked. But over these next few weeks, we'll change that. I want to pray with you guys before I finish. Lord, I thank you for tonight. And Jesus, um, kind of as funny as it sounds, I thank you for the gift of sex that you gave to um, us as human beings. I thank you, Lord, that your designs are perfect, um, that the things that you come up with are absolutely amazing, Jesus Christ. And I just pray to you that tonight, as well as these next weeks as we come together, that we will get such a good view of what you have for us in the sexual realm, Jesus Christ. That I know that nothing is put on us to hinder or to limit us, but it's meant there to protect us, that some things maybe we've even forgot about that are really, really important to us. So I just pray to you, God, that you would just bless it. I pray to you, Jesus, that you would just keep us safe as we leave here tonight, that you would just bless everyone. And I do pray to you, God, that you would let the words that we hear um, in this time not just be like another word that we hear, like when we go to school or, you know, when we just talk with our friends, but that it's something important that we really think on. So it's in your name that I pray, Jesus Christ, and in your name that I count for all these things. Amen. Later, you sex machines.